If you're visiting with us or you haven't been in a while, um, for the last, this will be week number nine of a teaching series that we've been in called Just Ask Joseph. And what we've been doing is, is looking at the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis and um, seeing how he navigated the ups and downs of life. And we've talked about how life is a roller coaster sometimes. And uh, so we need help navigating that. And, and uh, we could look in many places in Scripture and, and definitely at the life of Jesus to navigate the ups and downs. But we've chosen to, every week for this series, ask Joseph some questions about how to navigate either an up or down. And uh, we've asked him some great questions, and I think we've gotten some good answers, don't you guys? God's word, man, it'll hook us up, okay? Tonight, what I want to do is ask a very pointed question, and I hope you're listening and not dialed in already, because we're going to jump right in. I want to ask Joseph a very pointed question. Are you ready? How should I engage the 2016 election? Yes, I did. (laughs) I asked Joseph, how should I engage the 2016 elections? And if you want, you can write engage. That's the title of this sermon, engage. Um, Let me start by, before we get into the word, let me just say that I'm not a political person. I I actually um, do not like politics at all. I, I rarely talk about it. I avoid it if possible. Um, I get riled up by some of the things I see and hear. I'm a real black and white kind of a guy. And so when I see things that are in the gray, I oftentimes get very irritated. So I choose not to engage the conversation if possible. Um, But one of the things I I see and sense, and many of you do too, in this election is that there seems to be uh, across the nation, across the board, a lot of confusion and maybe even um, some, some confliction in the hearts of many. And I think especially among believers. And so I thought it would be a good idea. We're already asking Joseph a bunch of questions. Why not ask him, how should I engage the 2016 election? I think the first thing that he would tell us is to vote with a clear conscience. Write that down. I think he would tell us to vote, but to do it with a clear conscience. Something that I've heard quite a few people say, and especially church leaders, is to vote your conscience. Anybody heard that? Vote your conscience. And I wouldn't say that that's bad advice. I would say that's, that's decent advice. My only question would be, what is the condition of your conscience? Fair question? In Acts 24, Paul says, I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man, he says. And that's one of the things that I have loved about Joseph as I study his life, maybe you too, in this series, is that he seems to be a fella that makes every effort to keep his conscience clean, clear before God. I mean, he could have harbored bitterness against his abusive brothers. He could have had a judgmental attitude towards the pagan people of Egypt. He could have remained angry at Potiphar and his wife or ended up being imprisoned by what she did and him throwing him in prison. He could have held hatred in his heart because of Pharaoh's cupbearer. Remember, he forgot to remember Joseph and help him get out of prison. Our conscience 
is not this little Jiminy Cricket thing on our shoulder that's whispering to us whether or not we should go left or right or telling us whether or not we should stick our hand in the cookie jar and take one or not. In, in the Hebrew language, which I love to study, the word for conscience, it's the word leb. It's a pretty simple word. But what it talks about is, is our inner man. It talks about our heart. The Apostle Paul says that it's the part of us that's being renewed day by day, even though my outer man, this mortal shell, this mortal body, this corruptible body is decaying and will pass away. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 that my inner man is being renewed day by day. And then he tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that our inner man is being strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit. Our inner man, our heart. It can also talk about our, our soul, our mind. When you think of conscience, one of the definitions for that Hebrew word is soul, mind, will, our will. So then you ask, what is the condition of your soul? What is the condition of my soul? Where is my mind at? What is the state of mind that I am in? And then, whose will am I after here? In the election, in anything, but we're talking about the election. Whose will am I after here? Am I after God's will, or am I after my very own will? There's another place where Paul talks about stuff like this all the time, but he says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. That's what he says. I joyfully concur with the law of God inside of my inner man. Concur for, for him in that language meant to agree and rejoice together with. <laughs> I concur. I agree and I rejoice together with the law of God is what he's saying. And so is that the condition of Tony Herring's conscience? Do I agree and rejoice with the law of God. Because if not, listen to me, I should not vote my conscience. <laughs> Do you hear me? Are you listening? Yes. Because I'll engage this election without faith. And Paul writes to his number one disciple, Timothy, and he says, cling to your faith in Christ. And keep your conscience clear. He says both in the same sentence. Cling to, the, to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Listen to what he says. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. I wonder how many people have engaged this election with a shipwrecked faith. Can you, can you get that picture? Holes all in their faith. Lives that do not line up with God's word. Lives that don't line up at all. Consciences that are not clear before God. And I thought about that shipwrecked analogy and I thought, man, there is a breach in the hull of the church. Can I get an amen on that? We talk about it, we sense it, we say it. There's a breach in the hull of the body of Christ. 
I mean, I expect the world to approach the election in a worldly way, right? I mean, how else are they going to do it? Of course, they're going to approach the election in a worldly way. But to see Christians casting stones at candidates without a trace of repentance for their very own sin in their lives. I mean, we accuse one candidate of being a womanizer but have no problem looking at pornography ourselves, which is just as degrading to women as what we're accusing a candidate for. Maybe even more so and probably more often if you really think about it. And then we get so disgusted by the dishonesty and deleted emails by another candidate. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. It is like, what? But at the same time, seem completely unfazed by the areas of compromise in our own life. Paul says, again, to Timothy, he says, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, someone will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrine of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience. Get that picture. Their consciences are seared as with a branding iron, is what he says. Now listen to me. I'm very disappointed that national leaders tend to say one thing and then do another, of course. But I'll be honest, at this point, I am more concerned about the blatant hypocrisy in the church. I wonder how many followers of Jesus have have spent hours studying the platforms of each candidate so that they can submit a vote that they can be proud of, so they can walk out of there with with the utmost confidence that they've done the right thing, that they've made the right decision, but can't see that their very own lives are a platform that needs to be reviewed. Again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, our proud confidence, if we're going to have a proud confidence, is this, the testimony of our conscience. That in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world. Sounds like a platform, doesn't it? And I'm going to talk more about this next week, but listen to me. I can promise you, and you need to be here next week, because this is going to be post-election. I'm going to give you two points tonight and two tomorrow, or next week, post-election. So please be here. But I can promise you the testimony of your conscience, a life lived in holiness and godly sincerity instead of of fleshly wisdom, and a life empowered by grace will make more of an impact upon this nation than your vote ever will. Now hear me. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm just saying, what's the condition of your conscience? God used Joseph to save Nations, millions of people, because his life was constantly a platform 
a, a testimony of what did we read? The holiness, the sincerity, the wisdom, and the grace of God. Constantly a platform. And I think Joseph would tell us, you want to make a difference? You want to make a difference. Clear your conscience. Get your heart right with God. Ask God to investigate your life like David did. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. The message version says, investigate my life. And then make your prayer. Make a point to pray. And when you do, make your prayer. God, align my spirit with your spirit. Again, Paul says that I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I love that because it's not, I keep my uh, conscience clear when I'm in my prayer closet or while I'm at church. No, he emphasizes and man. In other words, I'm the same all the time, no matter what that platform might be that day. You, You understand? The second thing I think that Joseph would tell us as far as how to engage the 2016 elections is to vote with a prophetic edge. Write that down. Vote with a prophetic edge. Remember Paul said, I strive always to keep my confidence clear before God and man. Well, when we read the New Testament in in the writings of Paul, we're reading that in Greek versus the word leb in Hebrew for conscience. And and it's it's a little different, not much, but it just, it leans a little differently. And in the word that Paul uses for conscience, it means to see. It means to know with another. So think about that. Dial in on that definition. To know with another. Like with someone else, we know. It means to understand. It means to perceive. Okay, so when your conscience is clear, when your spirit is aligned with the spirit of God, you automatically have an edge. You automatically have an advantage in any situation because you know with another. And of course, that other is God by way of the Holy Spirit. You might remember when Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and he will declare to you what is to come. It says that he will glorify me by taking from what is mine and disclosing it to you. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Everything that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said that the Spirit will take from what is mine and disclose it to you. A clear conscience before God gives us a prophetic edge because we have a supernatural ability to understand, to perceive no matter where we're at, what we're doing. Jesus said in in Luke 12, he says, when you were brought before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, he says, do not worry about how to defend yourself or what you ought to say. By the way, isn't that really a lot of the conflict in our hearts? I want you to think about that. We sense there's a threat to our way of life. Anybody sense it? Hello? We can see that that there's 
that somehow or another there's a threat to our families, a threat to our future, and we don't necessarily know what to do about it. We, we don't know exactly how we're supposed to defend ourselves. We don't know what we ought to say. Maybe we're not exactly sure how we're supposed to vote. But he says, when you were brought before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how you're to defend yourself or what you ought to say. For at that time or in that moment, the Holy Spirit will teach you what you ought to say. Man, what an edge. What an advantage. Paul says in Romans 8 that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. That the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit of God, testifies with our spirit. And that word testify that that he uses right there is of the same Greek root as the word he uses for conscience. You have to get that. It's amazing. It's an advantage that we have as believers. The Spirit of God speaks the thoughts of God to those who have a clear conscience before him. Through a relationship and abiding with his son Jesus. In Revelation 19 verse 10, you can go look at it. It talks about the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And really that means two things. It's, it's got a couple of angles to that. One, living your life for Jesus allows you to perceive things that others might not. Okay? But it also means that prophecy always points people to living the life of Jesus. Okay? So... The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me say it again. To those who abide in Christ and strive for a clear conscience before God, they have a prophetic edge in any situation. They will perceive what others don't and they will understand what others won't. Some of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about how some Christians have abilities above and beyond what others might have because there's special gifts that that God gives through the Holy Spirit to believers for the sake of encouraging and building up the body of Christ. And so uh, we call them spiritual gifts. Uh, In that list that relates to some of the things we're talking about, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, discerning of spirits is one of those. Again, these are spiritual gifts and many in this room have some of the spiritual gifts that we just talked about. But what I'm telling you is that all of us who testify to the person and work of Jesus have been given a spirit of prophecy, a prophetic edge. Okay, you can call it a holy advantage. (laughs) We got a holy advantage. And that's why we are able to have the joy that we have. It's why we're able to have the peace that we have. That's why we're able to walk in courage the way that we are. While everyone else is shaking in their boots. You know, chaos comes. Storms start shaking the boat. But we, like Jesus, we stand up and address the storm. And what do we say? Be still. Peace, be still. We have a holy advantage, don't we? Joseph was brought before the ruler's of a mighty nation. And if you'll remember, his input was requested. Because remember, if you don't, go back and read it. Go back and listen to the podcast. Pharaoh said, 
to Joseph, I have had a couple of crazy dreams that I know mean something, but none of my genius magicians can figure it out. They don't have a clue as to what they mean, but my cupbearer said that you might be able to interpret these, dream, uh, these dreams. Now push pause on that for just a second and think about this whole scenario. How did Joseph feel about Pharaoh? I mean, there's no way to know exactly, but let's, let's, let's examine the situation. I mean, Pharaoh was Egyptian, which means that he worshiped pagan gods and, and, and worshiped foreign, and foreign idols. In fact, if you know anything about that culture at that time, Pharaoh worshiped himself as God, and so did all of Egypt. Listen to me, Pharaoh worshiped himself as God. Pharaoh most likely did detestable things in private with his harem full of women. And then think about the cupbearer. The cupbearer, the cupbearer deleted the emails saying that he was going to help Joseph get out of prison. <laughs> Just conveniently. I'm sorry, man, I must have deleted that email. The cupbearer's indifference caused Joseph to sit in that prison for two more years. And if you really think about it, it could be, we don't know, but it could be that the cupbearer really only brought Joseph in to interpret this dream to advance his career. Joseph easily could have chosen not to engage in this situation. Yeah, he must be talking about somebody else. I, I'm, not in a dream, I'm not a dream interpreter. Or, yeah, I used to do that, but I don't really do that anymore. I kind of hung that up. You know, I, you know, my last couple were a flop, and I don't do it anymore. I mean, he, didn't, he could have chosen death. I'd rather die than engage this nastiness. But Joseph had something that no one else in the room had. I want you to think about it. If you remember the scene, we don't have time to go back and read it, but go back and read it. While everyone else was on edge about whether or not Pharaoh was going to find an interpretation to his dream. Nothing like a mad Pharaoh, right? They were on edge. But then Joseph walks in and had a prophetic edge about what was happening. Amazing. He had already had two dreams himself when he was 17. That was week number one, dreams. We talked about those dreams. He had already had those two dreams Dreams about the future. Dreams where his entire family would one day bow down to him. Joseph prophetically knew somehow th this is it. Like this moment, this is it. This is what all of this has been about. Me being given up and sold into slavery by my brothers. Serving Potiphar but then being accused of rape by his wife and thrown into prison for all these years. All of this, he sensed, this is it. It's all about this. And he knew that the spirit itself was going to testify with his spirit. <laughs> he knew that at this time, the Holy Spirit was going to teach him what he ought to say. <laughs> and then what did he say? Remember he said, it's not in me. First of all. It's not in me. And if you think about it, that's a, that echoes forward to the words of Zechariah. Chapter 4, where he says, it's not by might or by power, but, the, but by the Spirit, 
says the Lord. He said, it's not in me, God will. I love that he asserted that. God, not I might, and I'm hoping he does. No, he said, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see the confidence? I mean, how many of you would be that confidence to say that to crazy Pharaoh? He had a confidence. While everyone else was afraid and freaking out, Joseph had faith. And he spoke out. Guys, we, and I don't know that any of us are truly scared or afraid, but we can't be afraid of this election. In any capacity, we have to engage it. Can you say that together? Let's engage it. It's important to know the candidates. It's important to understand the parties and the platforms. But what is most important is to hear what the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit. Amen? I honestly don't believe every Christian will or even should vote the same. Let me tell you why. I believe that there's something big that God is orchestrating. And in his master plan, he's putting together the pieces the way that he sees fit. You know what Joseph knew that no one else in Egypt knew? Something that God spoke prophetically to his great-grandfather, Abraham. Let's read it together. Let's just go ahead and read it. Genesis 15. Let's just go ahead and read it together because you probably didn't even know this was in the Bible. Genesis chapter 15. We know that God made a covenant with Abraham. I'm going to bless you and make you the father of many nations. You will be a blessing to every nation upon the earth, which is a prophetic picture of Messiah coming, Messiah coming through his family, through his seed. And God's like, how do I know you're going to do all this, God? How do I know? And God says, we're going to cut a covenant. And there's something that they would do ritualistically to, to seal a covenant. And so when it came time for God to seal that covenant with Abraham, he makes Abraham fall asleep. It's crazy. And it says that a darkness came over Abraham and God spoke to Abraham. I believe he spoke to his spirit. And here's what he says. Chapter 15, verse 13. God said to Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Did you know that Exodus 1 where it says the new Pharaoh remembered Joseph not and put them into slavery isn't the first time that's mentioned in the Bible? God told Abraham that was going to happen. You don't think Abraham told Isaac? You don't think Isaac told Jacob? You don't think Jacob told Joseph? But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And after, they will come out with many possessions. Again, Joseph, Joseph had to know. I believe that he knew that this somehow played a part in God's greater plan. 
I believe that Joseph perceived prophetically that engaging Pharaoh in this moment played a significant part of the prophetic word of the Lord to Abraham coming to pass. Now listen to me real close. I believe that God is doing something with this election that sets up for a greater part of his plan. I believe that my vote, and I already voted, I believe that my vote is being used as a part of that plan, even though it may be a different vote than yours, or yours, or yours, or yours. Let me say it this way. The votes of this congregation could be split two, three, four, however many ways, especially if you wrote someone in, okay? Could be split 10 ways and yet still be led by God's spirit. You might be thinking, you are nuts. Let me explain. God is moving the pieces and speaking to his people in different ways to accomplish his ultimate will, not ours, his. It's wonderful to be in partnership with him, but he is the one that is moving the pieces. Listen, maybe there's a predetermined amount of votes that each candidate and other write-ins are supposed to have that sets us, something, uh, sets us up for something that we can't see. Our responsibility is to have a clear conscience so that we will know with him what we are supposed to do, knowing that our part counts. Do you understand? Think about this. In in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, it says that a partial hardening has come to Israel, to the Jewish people. A A partial hardening has come to Israel until, in other words, they are gonna, the nation as a whole is going to be hardened in their hearts towards the acceptance of Messiah until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Okay, what this is saying is that the nation of Israel as a whole will reject Jesus as Messiah until a predetermined amount of non-Jewish people, Gentiles, put their faith in Jesus. You know what that means? Think about what that means. For me, it means every time I lead a person to Christ, every time I encourage someone in the faith to truly follow Jesus with all their heart, I'm playing a part in God's master plan. I don't have to know what that ultimate number of Gentiles is. I don't have to know the day or the hour that all of this will be finished up and finalized. All I have to do is keep my conscience clear so that I can have a prophetic edge about when and about how to engage the culture around me. Amen? Joseph would say, vote, vote with a clear conscience. Vote, but go in with a prophetic edge. What he speaks to you might be different than your other brother, so let it go. Chill out. It grieves my heart. Well, I think we, we're crucifying our brothers more than we are the candidates. It's like, dude, read God's word and Relax. My question, I have two questions for you and then we're gonna to pray together. It's simple questions based upon these two points. Are you engaging this election with a clear conscience? Are you? Where are you at? 
Where are you at with the Lord? What do we have? Three more days? Four more days? Before this thing goes down? Many have already voted. Two more days. Well, my math was off. I told you I didn't have to concern myself with the numbers. Listen, two more days. Many of you have already voted. Some of you haven't. It would behoove any of us to fast and pray and seek God over the next couple of days. Not that we're necessarily going to change his heart, but so that we will know his heart. Amen? If you've already voted and you're like, crap. Why didn't he preach this last week? It's because last week was a family service, and wasn't it wonderful? It was. Listen, God's, God's still got your back. But why go any further in history towards God's prophetic end without a clear conscience? Why do that? And I'm going to talk more about that next week. I believe God's got, given me a very specific word. I was going to do it all today, but thank God I didn't. We'd be here till nine. Here's what I want to do. We have 10 minutes. I want us to stand before you do. What I want us to do is I want us to stand. And a quick question, are we or are we not the body of Christ? Do we or do we not have a prophetic edge? Do we or do we not have a holy advantage? What I want to do is for the next five to 10 minutes, take, care of, uh, take advantage of that holy advantage and pray together as a body for this election. Your prayer might be, God, show me prophetically how you want me to vote. Where does my vote count? Joseph engaged. Joseph tells us to engage, but do it in the right way.